Well, would you open up in your Bibles? We're going to be, actually, we're going to be in a number of different places. We'll probably start off at Ephesians 4 and verse 11. How many were up on Facebook and saw the little intro I put up there? Just one? <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, just know that they're up there on Sunday mornings if you want to get a little taste of what's going on. But one of the things we're going to, as we, we're looking at the, the ministry of the pastor. And so I put some reasons for why we're going to look into it. This one doesn't burn on me quite the way that that prophet one did. I'll tell you what, I was being nudged in a very strong way to get into what the prophet's ministry was, who they are, and, and so forth. And I think we spent about five weeks on that. And I saw some things in there that I hadn't seen before. And as I told you before last time, remind me about um, uh, telling you the difference between the callings. Yeah, and somebody did that yesterday. Jolly Fisher back there, he sent me a text that says, don't forget. <laughs> that was so cool. I appreciated that. But anyway, why is it important for a believer who is not a pastor to know what a pastor does? That's what we put up there on, the, on Facebook for. What is the pastor commissioned to do? What are his biblical responsibilities? The reasons for it, first of all, I gave you three. I'm going to read them to you since most of you didn't see it. First of all, as with anything that God has given, the expectations, the commission that God gave has become corrupted. And people in church expect their pastor to live up to a man-made list of duties instead of the God ones. We're not going to get a chance to get into that part of it today, but we, we will next week. Now the things that, they, that the pastors today are doing, they seem to be good things. And there are good things that come from them. But when we don't do what the commission of the office is, you get into trouble. And so does the church. Second, the pastors pick up a burden that God did not give them. So it becomes heavy and laborious. It wears out the person standing in the office. The reason that most pastors wear out and give out is because they picked up a burden that God did not give them. Because what, did he, what does God say about his burden? My burden is easy. My burden is light. When you hear a pastor, a minister, or anyone in the body of Christ talking about how heavy the load is that God has put on them, tell them to get rid of the one they've got and pick up God's. Because what he says is, my burden is easy. You see, the reason that it is, is because if God has put on you to do a certain thing, he has also given you the grace to do it. And because you have that grace, it's, it's able to carry you on through. Now, I've talked to you about running and things like that before, and uh, I don't expect anyone to do what I do in the area of running. And I don't expect anybody to enjoy it the way I do. I have a certain grace on me that most people don't have that loves it, absolutely loves it. And it's not a burden to go out there and to run on a daily basis. And it's the same way with whatever ministry we have from God. God has given you the grace to do it. If you are doing that ministry and it becomes frustrating, it angers you, it discourages you, you have picked up something or some things that God has not commissioned you to do. Thinking that it is, you're trying to do what God gave you to do, but you don't have the grace for that and it's wearing you out. That's the second reason. Third, if those who make up the church 
know what to expect from the pastor. They will better know what and how to receive from what God has purposed. See, a lot of people don't know what to expect. Because they don't know what to expect, they don't know how to get it. And so they sit in church, they don't grow because they don't know what they're supposed to receive. So we're going to spend, I don't know, I'm thinking two weeks. Now, when we started the prophet one, I don't know how long. I told you I could keep going with that one. That just was, uh, was something. But we're going to start off here looking at something that was going on here in the calling. Because when you see this, I never saw this. I have studied calling and separation for a long time. I have never seen this until I took up what we were doing in the prophet's ministry. Then I saw this. When I saw it, I said, oh, now I know where a lot of false things have come from in the area of calling and separation. But I didn't see it until we took this on. Now, the calling, how is a pastor, and by this same token, I mean apostle, evangelist, and teacher, how are they called and placed in the ministry? A pastor, apostle, evangelist, and teacher are all called exactly the same way. In 1 Timothy 3.1, this is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. There's a desire that's there. You can desire, and this word here, bishop, is one of the words that's used for overseer, uh, elder, pastor. They, they use a couple of different words for those. But we're looking at those that oversee the ministry of the church. That's not a prophet. A prophet does not oversee the ministry of a church. But with the... With the pastor, the first thing, there's going to be a desire. God's going to kindle a desire inside of certain individuals to pursue this. That's only the beginning. Aspiring is only the beginning. There's only there's other steps, and they all must be completed to, to satisfaction. Just because you go through them doesn't mean that you satisfy them. You have to, you have to satisfy the, the, the requirements that the head of the church has. In Acts chapter 13, 1 through 3, now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Who separated Paul and Barnabas for the work that they were doing? the people that were around them. And what they were called to do was to become an apostle. Now, apostle and pastor are very similar. Very similar. The pastor is called to a church body. The apostle is called to start many church bodies. That's one aspect of the apostle. We'll get into that more later on. You're going to find a lot of the same giftings in an apostle that is there in a pastor. But there's also some other things they have to that are unique to that, that calling. We're not looking at the apostle right now. We're looking at the pastor. But the ministries are very similar. The teacher ministry is very similar, just missing some aspects of it. But a pastor should teach, should be able to teach, as the word tells us. An evangelist is a little bit of a different animal from the, the other ones, and we'll get into that one down the road here as well. But here in Acts chapter 14, Verse 23, so when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Who appointed the elders in every church? 
Well, that would be the day. The people that are going in there, the apostles had gone in and they appointed people in that church. But once again, the ones that were appointed were done so by people. Titus 1.5, For this reason I left you in Crete, Paul writing to Titus, that you should set in order the things that are lacking. That word there left is actually deserted. He just said, man, these people are tough. I give up on them. I'm going to let you take care of them. It's, it's kind of like that attitude. Because Crete was messed up. He said, I'm leaving you for that messed up situation. You get in there and you, you find some people, train them up and appoint them. So he told them, he said, set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I can manage you. So who's going to do the appointing there? Titus, 1 Timothy 3, 6 through 10, speaking about the, the giftings of the, um, of the elders that were there. And uh, I'm going to go back to verse 5 on this one. For if a man does... Uh, yeah, that, that's, that's not the one I wanted. I wanted to go back to verse... Pick up at verse 2. We already read verse 1. Let's go back to 1 Timothy 3 and verse 2. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy, for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those that are who are outside, lest he fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. He then goes on to talk about some deacons. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience, but let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. In order to get someone to meet that list, you can't just meet them, can you? You have to see them operate for a little while. They have to operate in, in certain roles for some time. And then the people that they are operating under observe them, see these qualities, see these traits in them. And then we move on to the next to the next place. They're put in as deacons after they serve in that for a little while. Then we can take from that pool and we may uh, make some elders or some pastors out of that. Understand in the Bible, there is not a deacon group, an elder group, and a pastor group. That's not in the Bible. That's in the church today. That's not in the Bible. In the Bible, elders are pastors. Churches who have a board of elders have an unscriptural position. Most times that they have this, the board of elders runs the church instead of the one called to it, which is the pastor. And that's not right. That's why those churches have so, have some of the troubles and problems that they do. In Jeremiah 3.15, it says, I will give you shepherds according to my heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. There's a certain heart, there's a certain aspect of them that they have need to have. Jeremiah, in the, um, in the ESV, it reads this way, And I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Now, for a pastor, and I just put etc. there, we're talking about the apostle, we're talking about the teacher, we're talking about the uh, evangelist. They are, first off, their calling is by God. They are called by God. You, you can't get called by people. You can't get called because you have a desire. God calls them. That's the first thing. Secondly, validating is by the faithfulness in ministry as seen in them. Validating is by the faithfulness in ministry as seen in them. 
as they begin to minister in the aspects they are given, we see the traits that the Word of God says, look for these traits, look for these qualities, look for this going on. And when we see that, other people acknowledge it, and that's that's how you validate that ministry. The third is recognizing the anointing of God. It's not just talent. They don't just have a talent to speak. They have an anointing of God when they bring the Word, when they teach, when they minister. There's an anointing on them. And so other people in the body of Christ observe them in, in ministry, in whatever capacity they're in, and see that that anointing is on them. They have validated them. They have recognized the anointing. Then we get to the point where they are separating, where there's there's a separation or the separating by other ministers. Other ministers come in and separate those. That's how the pastor, that's how the teacher, that's how the evangelist, that's how the apostles are called. Now the traits of the ministers they serve under are going to become very much a part of them unless they resist some of the bad traits. They'll pick up some of those bad traits. But the idea is to serve under them and pick up the good traits. That's why the people that are over them need to be very diligent to make sure that they get rid of the bad traits. Some of the bad traits are some some fall into pride. We're supposed to be in the area of humility. Some get slothful. We're supposed to be in the area of being diligent. Some are servant-minded. or They want to be served. We're supposed to be servant-minded. That's where we're supposed to go. And you can go on and look at other traits as well. Now, ministers recognize a similar anointing on others. Do you remember how Saul recognized the anointing of kingship on David? That made him jealous. When you have an anointing on you for a specific thing, you can often recognize it in someone else. And God looks to this as a part of validating, certifying, and recognizing what is on this other minister. Once they've gone through all these things, they've been faithful, they are set apart, it's not just done overnight. Now, contrast that to the prophet. Prophets are, are called and appointed by God. And that's it. They are called and they are appointed by God. I cannot find an example of a prophet in the Bible that was called by a man. Called by a man and that man recognized him. Paul would go into a place, he would recognize Timothy, he would recognize Titus. You guys have this call in your life. He would recognize that. You didn't see that in the ministry of a prophet. The closest you can come to is when Elijah went after Elisha. Except that God told him, I've, uh, I've called Elijah or Elisha. Go get him. So God called them. It's a different interaction. So in the area of prophet, they seem to be called and appointed by God and all of a sudden just show up on the scene. There's not a single one in the, in the New Testament even that we have, that we see the grooming process. It's just all of a sudden, here's prophet so-and-so. And they have a word. The validation of a prophet is by the authenticity of the words that are given. When they bring a word from God and it comes about, that validates that prophet. It's not validated the same way that the other ones are. The other ones, there's a validation that comes by their faithfulness in ministry. When we see how they operate in certain things, that gives that validation. It's not so with the prophet. Validation is by the authenticity. God says, check out the word. If that word doesn't come about, that's a false prophet. That's the only way you can validate a prophet. The calling and separation is done by God. I'll give you some examples. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah is called and separated. God calls him and he separates him into ministry. Done at the same time. Generally for the other four, 
there's the calling, then there's the process of the validation and recognition, and then the separating. But with the prophet, it seems that the calling and separation are all at the same point. Now, God had been probably doing some things to raise them up, to build them up, to get them ready for that ministry. But when it comes, God calls them up into heaven as with Isaiah. I've called you into this ministry. He says, here I am. I'm ready to go. And then he separated. He jumps right into the ministry. In Isaiah, or Isaiah 6, Ezekiel chapter 2, we have his calling. He's called into, into, and it's a very supernatural thing. In 1 Samuel 3, you remember this story. He's in, in there in bed. Then the word comes, Samuel, Samuel. He gets up and goes over to Eli. What's up? Nothing. Go back to bed. He goes back to bed. Three times that happened. Finally, Eli says to him, when you hear it again, say, yes, Lord, for your, speak, Lord, for your servant and listens. And so he's laying in bed again, and here comes the voice again, Samuel, Samuel. He says, speak, Lord, for your servant's listening. He doesn't know anything about a prophet's call. He doesn't know anything about the ministry he's supposed to be into. And yet God calls him and separates him for that ministry on that day and gives him a word. And he comes up to Eli the next day. What did God say to you? And he delivered a word of condemnation on the house of Eli. That came from God and it came about. So there you have a real clear example. Here's the prophet called, separated by God, no man involved. And then he's, he's dispatched because the prophet's ministry is very different. They need to get their their word from God. They need to focus in to make sure that the word I hear is exactly what God said. And then they have to work on their delivery. Then their delivery is to speak exactly what God said, not mix in their own interpretation. And that's hard to do. That's not the call of a pastor. <laughs> My call, teacher's call, is to hear the revelation, the word from God, to understand it and then teach it. That's our call. Sometimes a pastor will get a prophetic word. Doesn't mean that they're stepping into a prophetic office. Just means they have a prophetic word. And they deliver the word as God gave it to them. Sometimes I think it's harder for pastors to do because we're so used to hearing the word, figuring it out, understanding it, and then uh, delivering the understanding. But uh, this is the difference here. And the reason I want you to see this is because we see this calling and we look at just the, there's a general calling on ministry. And so sometimes people have seen how Isaiah was called, how Ezekiel was called, how Samuel was called. And they say, I'm called exactly the same way into the pastor's role. See, that's a false pastor. You cannot be called the same way a prophet is into a pastor's call. You cannot be called the same way that a prophet is into an apostle's call or to an evangelist's call because there, there was no proving. The Word of God says you have to first be faithful in what is another man's before God will give you what is your own. And they haven't done that. I've heard of some, some pastors, well, this is what God called me to do. I just need to be obedient. I don't care if nobody else recognizes it. I, and these are the words they use. I don't care if nobody else recognizes it. I need to be obedient to God. See, they're following more on the call of what the prophet was, not the, what the pastor is. Because when we looked at all these examples in the New Testament, there was that training up, there was that raising up. All right, we have the call. We first all have the desire, then we have the call, then we have all the validating, 
things that go on with that. And then we finally get to the place of separating. Just because you're called doesn't ever mean you're going to be separated. And one of the things Brother Hagin used to teach us about ministers is one time God was sharing with him about the ministry he was in. He had already pastored churches, a number of different churches for a number of years. And then was called out into the into the field ministry, was, was ministering out there, was stepping into the prophet's role. And God shared him. He says, you are now ready to enter into the first phase of your ministry. Anybody remember that? The first phase of your ministry. He said, what in the world have I been doing all these years? <laughs> he had a lot of years in ministry. What have I been doing? And this is what God told him. He said, many ministers live and die and never enter into the first phase of their ministry. Boy, that's scary, isn't it? Wow. So if you're going to step into these other roles, there must be a validation, a recognition recognition by other people in that same ministry. If not, you enter into it, you are entering into it in an invalid way. And God does not do things for for people who enter in invalidly. And which, well, I tell you what really is bad is people who want to step into a, a pastor's role this way will incur the judgment of a pastor without the grace needed to carry out that office. That is a bad place to be. Don't, don't get into it. Luke chapter 16, verse 10. He was faithful in what is least is faithful also in much, and he was unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So throughout this validation process, God is weeding out which are the ones that are going to be drawn over to the wrong things, which are the ones that are going to have the pure heart, which are the ones that need to, to develop that. Because you have to learn how to overcome some of those temptations that are out there. If you're going to step into one of these roles, you need to, you need to do so. In, um, John chapter 10, verse 1, most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. What's the door? We just laid it out there for you, didn't we? First off, you got a call from God. Secondly, there's a validation. Third, there's a recognition. And then there's a separation. That's the door. Other people will come in. They won't go through that door. They're going to come in another way. And he says, that that tells you right there. They're a thief and a robber. He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. If he's the true shepherd, he's going to come in the right way. He's going to come in through the door. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Now, the picture here may not jump out at you because we how many shepherds do we have? That's what I thought. <laughs> when the shepherds would travel around, they would have a big area, common area, which the, the, their sheep would go into. And they would intermix with all the other sheep when the people were traveling around. They just had this big area and they were all there. And so what would happen was when the shepherd was ready to leave, he would call his sheep. And his sheep would follow him. So he didn't have to go through and pick out all his sheep. He just going through, yo, <laughs> and they'd all come on out and they'd follow, follow him because they knew his voice. And so they'd follow after his voice. That's what he's talking about. They would come into the, to the sheepfold 
And even though there might be several hundred sheep in there, maybe he's trying to pull out a hundred of them. And he'd call his voice and his hundred would come out. And they'd follow after his voice. And he went to go through and says, nope, this one's not mine. Nope, this one's not mine. We don't have to do all that. So this is what he's referring to. They all know this well. It's not something that we, we know as much. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the, of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters, my, enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Now we're going to pause there just for a moment. I am the good shepherd. That word there, good, is good as in having value or virtue. It is used, it is distinguished from agathos. If you've been around here a while, we've talked about agathos, which has uh, good as far as it brings benefit. It's something that you look at and you judge, this is good, this will have us benefit. It's like when you go through the grocery store and you look at the Twinkies and you say, no benefit. We leave them out. And you go by the, the grapes and you say, grapes, benefit, bring them on in. And you go on by the cereals and you look at the sugary cereals and you say, no benefit. And then you go over to the other ones, like shredded wheat. Any shredded wheat fans? All right. I, I am one of them. I got my granddaughter hooked on them too. She likes them. Everybody else thinks it's cardboard. <laughs> but then I like hot oatmeal too. Yeah, I know a lot of people don't like hot oatmeal. I love hot oatmeal. Oh, when, I, when you go out to one of those hotels and they have the, not everybody has a breakfast bar, they have an oatmeal bar. I'm like in heaven. I know heaven's going to have an oatmeal bar. And you have a hot oatmeal, all that you want, and then all the stuff you want to put in there. There's raisins there, there's brown sugar there, there's all sorts of stuff that you can put in there and just make it to whatever you want to be. And oh, it's so good. Oh, I love that. I'm about the only one in my family who likes that sort of thing. But that's okay, it just leaves more for me. <laughs> but here it is, good is kalas. In this word, it's, it is good in that, um, that, one of the, especially in this context, when we're looking at the context of this, what he's saying is, I am the good shepherd. I am the shepherd you can use as an example. That's one of the ways this, this word would mean, and especially because of the context, he is contrasting between the bad shepherds and the good ones. He's saying, use me as an example. I am a good one. I am, in fact, he says, I am the, the article is there. I am the good one. The word here for give is to put in place some place, some places in scripture, it talks about laid instead of give. When it talks about Christ being laid in the tomb, this is the word that is used. When he says, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd gives his life. In other words, he takes his life and he lays it in place is what this is referring to. But I want you to see in particular this word for life. How many of y'all know Greek has a number of words for life? This word is not the word zoe. It is not the word for abundant life. This word is not the word that means your spirit. This word is actually a word that most English people are familiar with. 
They know this word. It is the Greek word suke, which means, it's, in this thing here, it means, means life, but it is the breath of life. It is the seat of personality. It is used of mind and soul. We got our word psych and psychology from this word. Because when it's talking about this life, it's talking about all the things that happen with your personality. All the things that happen with your emotions and your feelings. All of that aspect of your life. The very breath of life. When Jesus gave his life, he did not give his spirit. He gave his breath. He gave the very breath that he had. But he also, he says here, I give my life. He gave his emotions. He gave his mind. He gave his, his, uh, his psyche, as we would say. He gave all of that. He put all that on the, on the line. How many of you ever had a situation in life? He said, this, this is driving me crazy. This is just driving me crazy. It's, this is just getting into you. And it's just affecting you in, in such a way. When you get into ministry for God, no matter what fivefold ministry, whatever ministry it might be, it can drive you crazy because you're dealing with people. And people can do some strange things. And when they do, we kind of just shake our heads. Why in the world are the people doing this? But he says here, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. So what he's saying here is not only is he talking about laying down your life as he did at the cross, but all through his his life and ministry, is he not putting all his emotion out there? He's putting all the things in his mind, all these things that people want to do. I mean, people are always trying to play tricks with his mind. They're always trying to take him down. He put all that out there. He goes on here, but a hireling... He was not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf come in and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. See, there's a, if you see a wolf coming, and you know, if you're, if you're in a group of people, and the wolf is coming, and you don't know anybody, your tendency is, run. Run, get out of here. If you are in a, in a group setting, and you've got your kids, grandkids and the wolf is coming and you're in a group of people you, you don't tend to run as quick to, anymore do you you want to get there and defend those ones that are there because they're part of your sheepfold they're part of the ones that are under your protection so you're going to put your life out there for them you're not putting your whole your spirit man out there but you're willing to put your breath the breath of life out there for them this is what he's talking about that shepherd will put their very life out there. David did this when he saw a bear coming. He didn't run and hide. He went out there and killed the bear. When he saw the lion coming, he didn't run and hide. He went out there and killed the lion because he's protecting the sheep. God says, that's a good shepherd right there. That's good, that's good stuff to work with. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. Now we're, we're not going to get into this week. There's, there's a way in which people that are, become hirelings become over a sheep, a, a sheepfold, become basically pastors. We'll put it to you that way. There's a way that that happens. We're not going to get into this week. We'll get into next week. So I'll put that out there again for you. Remind me. Make sure I get into it. I don't think I'll forget. 
<laughs> but it's important for us to know, and we'll see that uh, at that time. But there's a there's a way that they got in place. How is it that there can be so many hirelings in the pastoral ministry, people who are running high when the going gets tough? And there's a there's a way that that has happened. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep, and every time you see life here, it's that same word. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and they will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. Now the hirelings are just there for what benefits them. There are some people who get in ministry and are there for just what benefits them. They're not sold out for the sheep's well-being. They're sold out first off for their own. If things happen that are good for the church, for the, for the, the people that are, that they're over to protect, if good things happen for them, great. But that's not our main purpose. Our main purpose is I gotta take care of me. And there are people in ministry who will do that. Titus chapter 1, if you'll turn over there or look up on the screen. Titus chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life with which God who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which has committed to me, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior, to Titus a true son in our common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we've mentioned this to you before, but in case anyone's new on this, every time you see one of Paul's letters, he writes, if he's writing to a pastor, he says, grace, mercy, and peace. If he's writing to a, a church, he says grace and mercy. <laughs> Seems the pastors need more peace. <laughs> he speaks that extra to them. For this reason, I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I command you. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, but a bishop for a bishop, must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money. So, the ones that he's supposed to appoint, here's what they need. They must not be. There's some things they can't... If they are, if they have these qualities, disqualified. They cannot have it. They cannot be self-willed. You cannot put someone into the position of being a shepherd who is self-willed. And the the word here means self-pleasing or, here's a word for you, arrogant. (laughs) How many know people in ministry that you would describe as arrogant? I know some. They're self-willed, they're self-pleasing, they are arrogant. They must not be this way. If they are, disqualified. Until they get that under control. Maybe they get that under control and they they do better. Here's the second thing, quick-tempered. Basically, what this is talking about is slow to anger. You don't get angry fast. If you're going to be in ministry, if you're going to be a shepherd or, or one of these other areas, but particularly in the, the shepherd ministry, because with the apostle, they move around. With the teacher, they're here for a little bit, and then they, they move around. The evangelist, there's a lot of moving around that goes on with evangelists. But a pastor, this is where you are. <laughs> this is it. This is where you stay. And so, whatever goes on with the people, there's no escape. <laughs> this is where you are. So, if you suddenly realize, I cannot escape this, 
then you can start to get quick-tempered. If I have an outset, I just got to put up with this for a little while, and next week I'll be off someplace else. You see, it doesn't affect you as much, but if you're going to be a pastor and you're going to be in the same spot, you can't let this stuff bother you. So they need to be slow to anger. They cannot be quick-tempered. They cannot be given to wine. It doesn't mean that you don't drink any. You can drink some wine if you want to, but you're not given to it. You don't get in there and you don't get drunk by the stuff or, or whatever. He just he uses the word they're given to wine. Now, I have it easy. I can't stand the stuff. I mean, I hate it with a passion. I, I don't even want to smell it. If you like wine, it's, that's all fine. I, but don't get it near me. Beer's even worse. I've never even sipped a beer. Not even sipped it. I've smelled it and that was enough for me. I got it on my hands serving it at the restaurant I was at. And that was so bad that I had to wash my hands every time that I had to help out the waitresses and serve the beer. I couldn't keep it on my hands and work. I had to get it off. I don't know how people drink it. I know some people drink it and they love it. I can't stand it. I hate it with a passion. And there's absolutely no way you're ever going to get me to learn how to drink that stuff because first off, I don't want to. And secondly, I don't need to. And I just don't like the smell. And so I don't, I don't do that. And the other types of alcohol, I, I just, I can't stand alcohol. But I don't stay away from it because I think that as a minister, we just, we just can't do it. I stay away from it because I can't stand it. I don't like it. It's like vegetables. <laughs> you don't like it, you don't eat it. I don't like Brussels sprouts. I will not eat Brussels sprouts. I don't care how much time you spent on cooking them Brussels sprouts. You bring them over to me, they're going to sit there. I'm not eating the Brussels sprouts. Don't cook the cabbage. I won't eat it. You know the story. You know the ones I'll stay with. I'm very consistent which ones I will not eat. If the cabbage is cooked, it's done. Other people in the church here, you love cooked cabbage. And that's great. I, I enjoy that you, that you like it. You fill up on that stuff, I'll get the other things. <laughs> but not given the wine. Because if you, if you are given the wine, there's going to be some problems there. Now, you also can't be two-faced in this. It can't be the pastor says, well, in front of other people, I won't, but when I'm by myself, I'll go ahead and do whatever I want to. No, he didn't say, in, he didn't say not giving the wine in public. He said not giving to it. Then he uses the word not violent. And the actual definition is a smiter. You don't see that word too often, do you? <laughs> a smiter is in the actual definition. Combative or quarrelsome. You can sometimes find people that are quarrelsome. They like to, they like a good fight. They like a good quarrel. And you cannot be given to that. If you're going to get in ministry, if you're going to imitate the good shepherd. Now Jesus is the good shepherd. We want to imitate him. Don't be violent. Don't be quarrelsome. This is one of the reasons that I, I, I used to be quarrelsome. I used to be pretty good at it too. But I had to get rid of that sort of stuff. Had to, had to move the, move those things up. Move myself out of that. So now, you know, I've even told you my rules on, on Facebook. If uh, if you put up something on Facebook that I don't like, I leave it alone. I don't even go up on it. If you come on my something that I put up and then you put something, well, then maybe I'll discuss it a little bit. But usually two times. If we're in a negative area, two times is about the max I'll do. After the second time, I pretty much just wipe it out and say, well, you know, that's where we go. There was one time uh, in the last couple of weeks... God gave me an assignment. There was a minister. I know him to be an arrogant minister. He is as arrogant as they come. 
and I had separated myself from him on, on Facebook some time ago, a long time ago. Um, for some reason, somebody that I know put a comment up on his thing, and so I saw that. I says, dear Lord, he should not be saying this sort of stuff. And I, I sort of had a, an assignment to, to do, and so I threw some stuff out there to him because what he was saying was wrong. <laughs> it, it was wrong. And he got the message. He didn't like it, though. And uh, we went a little bit on it, and I just I stopped. I didn't really get on there for his benefit. I got on there for the people that were reading his thing. I wanted them to see, no, there's another way to see this and, uh, and understand it. And um, he wasn't helping them. But anyway, not self-willed, not arrogant, not quick-tempered, be slow to anger, not given to wine, not violent, a smiter, combative, or quarrelsome. Don't get quarrelsome. You're not going to help people out with that. Greedy. Don't be greedy for money. If you're going to be greedy for money, be going into the ministry, the ministry is going to mess you up with that. Don't be doing it. Now, how do some get to these attitudes? Maybe some of them didn't start off with this, but they got in there and then they became arrogant. They became quick-tempered. They became given to wine. They became violent or quarrelsome. And they became greedy. How did they get there? How did they have these kind of things going on? I thought about this for a little bit. And in the area of ministry, more so than anything else that I know of, and there might be other areas where this is, I'm just real familiar with the area of ministry, is uh, you will find betrayal often. People will betray you. I've had people who say things to me to my face and then go around and say other things. I mean right in the church. They'll, they'll just betray you. They'll say all manner of good things in front of you, and as soon as they get away, then they say other stuff. And then they start to try and, and um, undo, undo some things behind the scene. And um, I think one of the strongest examples I saw with that was uh, when I had uh, I put in my resignation to a, at a ministry I was in, and I was trying to put things in order, and the person who was coming up, up and coming, taking my position, eventually going to be taking over the church, uh, he, I went away because at this point I was heading down to Tulsa for a year. I figured it'd be about a year just to kind of get rebuilt on things because I kind of got tore down in ministry. I was ready to leave ministry altogether. Just the things that are going on in the in the, the church. I was. I told God, I said, God, if I can find something else to do, I will do it. Something else that was satisfying, I should say. And so I was uh, putting things in order. So I went on down there and I spent a week to find a place, get everything set up. And then came on back, and while I was gone, this particular individual who uh, commissioned me in front of the board that I would do this, 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 and this before I left. And while I was gone, he went around to all those people who were at those, those departments, and he said, don't listen to anything that Steve says. Undermined me the entire, the entire process. One of the persons uh, came up to me and they said, why is so-and-so saying all these things and telling us not to listen to you? I said, they are? And I, I heard that. I was ready to walk into the pastor's office. I know I gave you a couple months. I'm leaving tomorrow. <laughs> I'm done. Uh, I just don't. I don't need that. I'm not here. I mean, they were paying me something like $5 an hour for 15 hours a week, and I was working 50. I, mean, I don't need that. I can go over to a place that I was taking time from, and they were paying me $20 an hour gladly. They were happy to do it. They asked me if I had more time. <laughs> they would have taken more. But um, you get that kind of betrayal, and it, can, it affects you. 
there's unfaithfulness that is that is there that you'll see more so than any other aspect. You'll ask people to do something a certain way and they change it. And they don't quite do it the way that they, they want to. And you'll encounter that. It messes with your ability to trust people. You constantly encounter ulterior motives. People are, are they have ulterior motives for everything they do. And you almost can become suspicious of it. There's fickle friendships. I had uh, some people that um, I would get together with on a regular basis. They were in, here in the church. And uh, building, supposedly, I thought, a friendship. And then to find out that they had all these negative views of things and never once would talk to me about it. And so these are the things that can come in. They can change it. There can be a long time built on some friendships, quickly destroyed. I've seen some relationships spend 10, 15, 20 years building the thing, and in one weekend it's gone. Never hear from them again. You don't get that in too many other professions. But it, it happens on a pretty regular basis in the area of ministry. Either they get mad at me, the pastor, or they get mad at someone else. But either way, they completely cut off me. Totally cut you off. There's, there's no contact. There's, uh, there's no exchange of things. It's just cold turkey, gone. I had one person, you know, we, we used to go out to, uh, to restaurants after church service more often. And there was a few places that we had around that had big tables. And I enjoyed that. And I still remember one day, you know, we had this, this couple being around. We did a lot of things with them, building the friendship. And then as we got up from the meal, the husband came over to me and said, Oh, by the way, we won't be coming back to church anymore. That's the last words I ever heard from them. Never heard another word after that. They were, uh, they were gone. So you have a lot of this stuff that goes on, more so in ministry than any other place that I've ever seen. This is the kind of thing that will that can happen. When you get things like that that can go on, it can kind of get you either arrogant, self-willed, or it can, it can push you over into some of these, some of these areas. These things will create a battle though inside of a person. I've seen this in myself. I've seen it in some other people that you either feel completely unworthy of any kindness received or go on the side of feeling worth more and demanding much, demanding such. And it pushes you to one of those two extremes. You guys are the kindest to my wife and I. And every time you are, I battle with feelings of being unworthy. Every single time. You guys give us Christmas cards. You guys shower us with those pounds that you did. I battle it every single time. I am not worthy of any of this stuff that you all do. I fight that. Till to this day, I fight it. Now, I'd rather fight that than fight the, the side of, of the arrogance. But I've seen ministers go in that direction. And I understand why they do. Because of what they have, have gone through. But it's still something that there is no excuse for it. You can't, you can't go in that way. You can't go in that direction. You have to stay the way God told you to stay. And God has given you the grace to be able to do so. Don't ever desire a ministry position if God has not given you the grace for it. It will tear you apart. You don't mess with your Christian walk. And it's how, like in Jesus' day, you have such evil people in ministry areas plotting how to kill people while in a ministry office. <laughs> can you imagine that? Let's go over to the tabernacle. Let's plan how we can kill Paul. And that's what they did. And that's how you can, you can do this because of, of what goes on. And the enemy is always trying to get you to distrust 
you know, this person, they're not really your friend. We've had to, I've pushed that off. There's a, there's a lot of times people will look at, at me, you know, they'll know, well, somebody, they just, they just said something that hurt you. How are you so nice to them now? Oh, it's a piece of cake. I, I learned it. I developed it. And if whatever, whatever somebody says to me today, it's like water off a duck's back and I have left it in an hour. Just gone. I gotta, I gotta move on. I can't hang on to it. And, uh, I think one of the examples I saw that one time, I, I was a youth leader and I hadn't realized that I was doing this to the extent that I was. And this guy, we had a, a pretty good friendship that was going on. I don't hear from him anymore. <laughs> I've tried, but, um, they cut that off. Um, but at this point, he had shared some things with me that he didn't share with most people. And it was, uh, it was part of a weakness for him. He wanted some help to get over it. And so I told him some things to, to help that. And, uh, and then we went on. And I don't think it was a couple months later. And he said, I gave him a funny look. And I don't even remember doing it. He said, I gave him a funny look. And his mind went immediately. It's because I shared that with him. And so he finally uh, confronted me on it. He says, is it because I shared that with you that you gave me that funny look? I said, first off, what funny look? And what are you talking about? You see, because what he had shared with me, it's not that I just forgot it. It's just I don't keep it in the front, forefront of my mind. And I didn't even, didn't even think about it again until he brought it up. Oh, that. I wasn't even thinking about that. What funny look. <laughs> and it just wasn't, uh, it, it's just something that really bothered him. But I have, I have learned, I didn't, I wasn't born that way. I had to learn how to do it. That you just let stuff roll off your roll off your back. It's not that you don't care about it. It's not that you don't stick up for yourself. It's just that it's not going to do them or me any good for me to harbor that. Let's just go on. He then goes on in verse eight. But be but hospitable. You need to be hospitable. You need to be be uh, willing to you know have people over, uh, entertain, get with people, and that's a trait I had to learn. Because I told you before, I was happy in a room by myself. I didn't, I didn't need anybody, didn't necessarily want anybody, but uh, if they were around, I could probably tolerate them. <laughs> but I eventually got to the point now I can enjoy people. And even going to a restaurant, I can just talk to the strangers. Don't know them, just go over there and start talking with them. Because I learned how to enjoy people. But that was not something I was born with. A lover of what is good. We need to develop a lover of, of become a lover of what is good. If it's bad, I hate it. I, I hate it. I don't watch some movies because they're filled with things that aren't good and I despise them. And I can't sit there and watch the movie because I just, oh, <clears throat> it's just, they're not relaxing. So that's why I just go out there and just find, you know, Hallmark movies. They might all be the same. <laughs> but, but there's, there's none of that stuff stirring me up. Now I hear that, you know, they're trying to get into some things that do stir me up. But, um, Anyway, you get some of those ones that don't have any of that stuff. I just like to sit on back, just relax. There's no words. There's no things going on that I have to be be concerned about. You got, you got to become a lover of what is good. That's easier said than done because this world goes in a direction to become a lover of what is bad. It is very popular to speak gossip. The newspapers at the checkout stands are all about gossip what's the dirt on so-and-so i want to know what the bad stuff is because in this world they are a lover of what is bad we need to become a lover of what is good
sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled. We'll get into more of these things as we, as we get on. Holding fast the faithful word as he has been, as has been, as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. Now, though you are not quarrelsome, there are going to be people who are going to challenge some things of the Bible, some things of faith. And you need to be able to exhort. You need to be able to come in there and, and have a discussion with them. But don't get quarrelsome. Once it gets into that direction, you need to put your hands up and go. That's, that's not a thing we're going to do. But you got to do it from the, from the Word of God. People like to argue things from the world's point of view or from things we see in the world. If you're going to be a minister of God, you need to argue them from the, from the Bible. That's not just for pastors. It's, a, it's in particular for pastors, five-fold ministry. You've got to make sure you get in there, but that's something we all should do. So that's what we should be. Verse 10, For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. For there are many insubordinate. Many. He didn't say few. He said there's many. Both idle talkers and deceivers. Idle talkers. I don't know exactly what he has in mind here. I mean, there's some people just like to chat about stuff that has absolutely no meaning. But sometimes I tune into a preacher. I never heard this preacher before. Maybe you've done this too. I turn it on. And after 15 minutes, is there a point? <laughs> Have you ever had that? Is, is there a point? I don't know. 20 minutes, 25 minutes. I remember one. They were a Rhema grad. In fact, they were a Rhema instructor. And they had gone out and they were pastoring in a church. And this was one of the instructors who would fill in for Brother Hagin. When Brother Hagin had to go away and do things, this was one of two people who would fill in for them, for him. And so she would get up there and she would begin to teach. And we all, Brother Hagin's gone, oh, we're sorry to miss Brother Hagin. I hear, oh, but so-and-so is preaching. This is going to be good. And we got in there. We loved the class. We enjoyed it. We took notes. It was good. And so uh, one time, um, they were over there, her and her husband, they were pastoring the church, and I saw she was teaching. Oh, I remember her from Monday. I, I turned it on. Sat through 45 minutes, never opened the Word of God. That can't be right. I know this person. So I, I loaded up another one. 45 minutes into it, not even opened the Word of God. I said, I don't have time for this. <laughs> that was the last I ever, I ever pursued that one. Um, idle, talker, idle talkers can just be you know, chit-chatty stuff, but if you're talking about the Word of God and it has no meaning, it has no effect upon our lives, what good is it? It doesn't help us. So, for there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers. Now, he puts idle talkers in with insubordinate people. And deceivers. I think that has to be right because I know from getting ready for Sunday services for all these years, I don't come to you with a plan. I don't have a plan. This is what we're going to do. I come to you. God, what are we getting into this, this Sunday? I have, a, I know he leads me over to a topic. Steve, you're going to be ministering on, on these kind of things. And we may be on it 30 weeks. We may be on it 40 weeks. We may be even on it 50 weeks. I'm on it until God says move on to the next one. But I keep getting the assignment. Where do you want us to go? Where do you want us to go? Beginning of the year, one of the things that hits inboxes all the time is uh, there's these places out there and they're making your job easier as a pastor. We've got 52 weeks of sermons all written out for you. Here you go. 1995 or whatever it is they're going to be. <laughs> and you can buy 
52 weeks worth of sermons. And so you can plan out, you know, where you're going to be this week, next month, the whole, whole ordeal. I looked at that and said, that'd be the biggest waste of money for me I'd ever, I'd ever pay. I wouldn't want to be messing with it at all. But sometimes I listen to some people that are preaching and it's, there, there's no depth. There's no word to it. And your number one role, we're going to get into this next week, the number one role, the number one role of a pastor. It is mentioned so many times in the Word of God. It is by far the biggest responsibility of a pastor and it gets the least bit of attention from most pastors. But it's the number one responsibility we have. Jesus went over with Peter. You'll find it in other places. When he pulled Peter aside and he three times he said to him, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, you know that I love you. Now we, we've gotten into the Greek before. The Greek is very different from the English. I'm not going to get bogged down with the details on that right now. But um, understand that what Peter answered Jesus was not what Jesus asked. Peter answered him truthfully. But he didn't answer him. Jesus said, do you agape me? Peter says, well, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. It's a lower level of love. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. There's three things he exhorted him to do. Feed my sheep, tend my sheep, feed my lambs. And yet most pastors make Sunday services an afterthought. The, I know my number one responsibility for you is what I teach you on Sundays and what I teach you on Wednesdays. There is not even a close second. But we'll look at more of the responsibilities that are in there and what, uh, what we're supposed to do. For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers. Idle talkers talking about things that don't matter. And deceivers talking about things that are lies that are going to pull people into deceit. Especially those of the circumcision. He's talking about the Jews whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. There are people out there who will teach something just because people will give money to hear it. It's not what God told them. It's not what's going to help them. But the people will give money if they hear it. They do it for dishonest gain. As people are called in the ministry, sit under another or another ministry, their attitudes are exposed and developed. If you've got some bad attitudes in the area of ministry, when you get involved in ministry, those bad attitudes come out. And the people that are over, you can say, you see that? That's bad attitude. Work that out. Get that out. And so you find out about it and we get to, to work that thing out. We develop the things that are good. See how you handled that? That was good. Keep doing more of that. And you get those things developed so that by the time you get in there and you're separated, you're ready. Now the attitudes expected of a shepherd and demonstrated by the good shepherd are beneficial for all believers. Every single believer can benefit from those things that Jesus demonstrated. It's not just for shepherds. It's kind of like that movie that we all probably, some of you probably watched. The uh, the Santa Claus. Anybody watch the Santa Claus for the Christmas season? We pretty much watch it every year. One of the one of the great Christmas movies. And you remember when the elves come in to spring Santa out of jail, and they get the tinsel, 
Remember the, remember the line the elves have for the tinsel? Not just for decoration. <laughs> and they used the tinsel to uh, cut open the jail. And apparently, I didn't, I didn't know the tinsel could be used for that, but apparently it has other, other uses. <laughs> you see, these, um, these attitudes, they're not just for ministers. They're not just for pastors, and not just for teachers, and not just for prophets, and not just for evangelists. These attitudes are what we're all supposed to have. And we're supposed to go after the traits of our shepherd, who is Jesus Christ. And I'm supposed to take on those things. Our shepherd, Jesus Christ, is slow to anger. Thank God he is. He is not one for idle talk. In fact, his words, oh, I say his words are good. I hear his words and I can study those words for a long time. Because, boy, he's got some, some great things in there for us to learn. But if you're going to get involved in ministry, if you're going to do things in the area of, of, of ministry in any, any capacity, your attitude is everything. As your pastor, it is my responsibility to model a good behavior for you, a good attitude for you. That's my responsibility. I need to model for you one who is a servant, not one who needs to be served. I need to model for you one who is slow to anger, not quick-tempered. And if I only model those kind of behaviors for you here in church and do something else outside of church, then I'm not being genuine. And see, eventually the wrong stuff will come out. This is who a pastor is supposed to be. That's why the Word of God is always telling you to pray for your pastors. There's a whole mess of pressure that comes down upon pastors, comes down upon ministers to change and to do things in a, in a wrong way. And um, to even compromise the Word. There's a lot of pressure that comes down for people. Now, I, I don't say that because I feel it. But believe me, no one has come across my path and said, Pastor, you need to tone down what it is you're saying. No one does. Because first off, if any of you did it, you know what you would get. And you're not willing to go through that. <laughs> but outside of here, there's no one who's, uh, who's come along to do that. I don't give anybody any time who would do so. There are a lot of churches that are not run by the pastor. They're run by the elder board. They're run by the deacon board. They're run by these things. And they tell them how to do things. Because in this country, as we told you before, a church is supposed to be a corporation in order to get it under tax benefits and so forth. But the Bible never told us to run the church as a corporation. And we are not to run the church as a corporation. And we don't run this one as a corporation. We run it as a church. I don't have an elder board who says, Pastor, you've been uh, too, too long on that. You need to get off of that. Pastor, you're too hard on this. You need to soft. I don't have anybody who comes and tells me anything like that. I listen to some of your feedback to find out, are we getting the message through? This is what God wants me to say. Am I getting the message through? And I listen to feedback. It's not like I can't be changed. Uh, God is saying, Steve, this is what you need to get across. Sometimes I find out, what are you, what are you hearing? What are you getting? And if I'm not getting the message across, I go back to God. God, I know what you told me to do. I'm not getting it done. How do I get this done? So I go to him and we, we take, that, take that on. And um, I love the attitude that you all have with, with church, how things are going on. And my number one role with you is to make sure that I give you the food that you need. And I'll tell you what, when we get outside of here and we go and we meet Christians from other places who don't have all the grounding that God has given us here, I mean, there's some weird Christians out there. Weird Christians. 
And they can believe things and do things. And I'm thinking, dear Lord, how do you do that? <laughs> I don't know how they do that. But then we come on back here and it's like, oh, faith people. Stable people. People who know how to believe God. People who don't get upset by all the things going on in the world. People who know that this is not where our citizenship resides. Our citizenship is another place. We're just here to do the Lord's work, get trained up, and get ready for what He has coming for us in the next one. But next week, and I don't think we'll be on it much more than, than one more week on the, the role of a pastor, we're going to show you from the Word of God what a pastor is supposed to do. We'll compare it to what the world thinks a pastor should do and show you why most of the churches in America are not as strong as they need to be. There's an there's a absolute reason why most churches are as weak as they are. Why so many church members will just give in to whatever the world wants to do. There's a reason for it. And we'll show it to you here in the, in the next week. Would you all stand up with me? Praise you. Praise you, Father. Father, I thank you for the gifts that you have given us in the body of Christ. That you've given them to us to build us up, to help us, to strengthen us in all they do. I may be a pastor, but I also have people that pastor me. There are people that I receive from. Every single one of us in the body has people that we should be receiving from. People that we look up to. And I thank you for having them in our life. Thank you that it's more than just one. We have people that set us, set for us an example. Attitudes to have, behaviors to follow, patterns to be involved with. Father, we thank you for your great love for us. Sending Jesus as the great shepherd. Oh, he is the good shepherd. What an example he is for us. I thank you that we have him to look at. And then there are under shepherds. And we have those to look at as well. Help us, Father, each one, that we begin to mimic, to copy the behaviors that you said these are our must you're going to be in the fivefold ministry because if it's a must for them, it's got to be good for everyone. And I thank you for the way that you help us to accomplish that and to walk in it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Glory to God. Well, this week, anybody spend any more time going after some prophets? I spent, I, I listened to about two or three other ones and um, I got some mixed reviews on it. <laughs> some of them were some of them were good and beneficial. Um, and uh, I, I, I started to pray for the ministry of a prophet, for those that are in the ministry of a prophet, that they would seek after what God has called them to do and what their, their ministry is. Their ministry is very unique, and we need it. It seems, as we, we showed you, that if God starts something, he sends the word first to his prophets, even before the pastors and teachers. He sends it through the prophets. They announce it. And we showed you some examples in the Word of God where that happened, where people didn't know this was happening and the prophet came on by and said, this is what's coming next. Oh, we better get ready for it. That Word came through the prophets. So pray for them. Father God, I thank you that you are raising up prophets 
in this day. That you are calling and separating people into the prophet's ministry. People who will pursue the words of God and relay them in a perfect way. Not mixing their own understanding, not mixing their own words, but giving us the pure words that you spoke to them. I thank you that we will not be saying, where are the prophets? I thank you, Father, that we will see where the prophets are and that we will yield and glean what they have to offer us. Thank God for that. I wanted to leave you with one, one last word. In our reading this week, we take on the book of Ephesians. If you haven't been reading with us in our chapters, read, read them. And um, in fact, you know what? Before we go, I'm going to just do this. We got a little bit of, little bit of extra time. I was a little bitter today. And um, and again, our, our chapter reading five days a week, Monday through Friday, and we post it up on Facebook, in the church Facebook page. It's in the bulletin. It's other ways that you can you can get this. But uh, this week we're reading Ephesians one through five, Monday through Friday. If you missed a day, it's all right. You got Saturday or Sunday to catch up, get going. But in Ephesians chapter one. I'm going to ask each one of you that you take the prayers that are in the book of Ephesians and pray them for yourself. This is something that we've done on a periodic basis. And maybe some of you have done it before and have uh, kind of let it slip away. And uh, someone asked Brother Hagin one time, because he's the one who taught us to, to do this, how long should I pray it? He said, pray it until you're satisfied. But that's pretty good. <laughs> pray it until you're satisfied. I mean... When you're satisfied, stop. If you become unsatisfied, start up again. I mean, it can't be any more simple than that, right? Glory to God for that. Well, in the, in the book of Ephesians, he prays here. He says in verse 15 of chapter 1, Therefore I also, after I heard your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. And here's the things that he prays. And when you, when you pray this, personalize it for you. Don't read it out of the scriptures. Personalize it for you. So I'm going to do that just as I would ask you all to do it. That the Father of glory may give to me the spirit of wisdom. Instead of you, you put me in there. It may give to me the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him. How many people want to grow in the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him? It's right there in the prayer. It's a biblical prayer. You can't get any better than a biblical prayer. It made the Bible. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. How many want your eyes of understanding to be enlightened? See, we all want that. That you may, that I may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward me who believe. How many need to grow in that? Boy, I'll tell you, I sure do. According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ Jesus, when he raised him from the dead and seated him, at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one that is to come. Just put your name in there and then pray it. And then tomorrow, pray it again. And then pray it again. And keep praying until you get satisfied. Now there's a similar prayer in chapter 3. You can pull that same one out of there. Prays for a few different things. But uh, you can pray that that prayer for yourself as well. And uh, And expect to grow in these things. And so this week... I would commission you all, do the reading and then pray the prayer. Pray this thing. Put your name right in there. 
God, I, I want to see myself growing this. And you will see a change. There's never been a time that I took up praying this for, for a, a, a dedicated amount of time that I did not see a change in myself in these areas. And it was, it was wonderful. It was good. But I exhort you to, to go out there and to do that. And always, always appreciate your comments. When you go up there and you see the... It'll show up tomorrow, 7.30 in the morning. Every Monday, 7.30 in the morning, the reading shows up. I know that because I set it up a week before. Once the new one pops up, I put the next one in. It's set up a week ahead. I can't forget it. It comes up. It will be there at 7.30 tomorrow on the, on the church Facebook page. You will see all that. And if you get some stuff out of it, just put it right there in the comments. Sometimes Ethel does. That's about the only one who really puts any comments on there, stuff that she's learning or looking at. But uh, if you f- see something in there, just write it on in. Oh, I was reading this today. And, you know, you can go re-reading something on Thursday and go back to the Facebook page on, on Monday and just write that on in there. If you write it, I will see it. <laughs> in fact, I will see it within seconds to minutes most times. And I usually try and uh, reply to somebody. As soon as they put something up there, I let them know that I saw it. But I want to I wanna get you guys going on this thing. So Ephesians is this week. Chapter 1 tomorrow. You already got uh, part of it already read. We just did it together. But before you go out of here today, bless some people that are around you. Share the love of God and have a great rest of the week. We will be here on Wednesday night and we will be finishing the book of Jude. If you can't make it out, you can always tune in on Facebook. Glad to have you here today.